Welcome to Your Team with Sue and Steph. I'm Sue. And I'm Steph, and we are the co-founders and owners of Your Teen Media, the resource for parenting tweens and teens. And today we're talking to Dr. Abigail Stark of the Anxiety Mastery Program at McLean Hospital. We're talking to her about how to help our kids navigate the return to normal life, re-entry post-pandemic, and all the stress that comes along with that shift. But before we talk to her, we've got our own stuff to add here. So Steph... What do you got? How much time do you have today? Uh, like, you know, two minutes. Is that enough? <laughs> um, yeah, not nearly enough. I'm looking for a couch to lie down on. So I've got my own anxieties about the pandemic <laughs> ending and what life going back to normal looks like. There are a lot of things I've gotten used to. And so I'm a little anxious about what that's going to look like in terms of opening back up, just like any habit, right? We form new habits. So I'm not a big fan of change. So transitions are very, very hard for me. Not what people think about me, but they are very, very hard for me. And then <laughs> then later on, then I'm thinking about my kids and their transition. So now I'm getting anxiety <laughs> about their anxiety. <laughs> so yeah, I I don't even know what to say. How are you doing? Well, I've, I've been vaccinated for a while, and it's kind of interesting, the slow progress to re-entry, because I wasn't actually that excited to jump back in completely. But there have been some things that have been very delightful. And actually, I would say even more delightful than ever. Like having, <laughs> we had friends come over, and it was a while ago, and we were all going to sit on the porch really cold. And I said to Dan, I didn't want him to say that we were vaccinated because it created such a, a tear of like, and, and people were resentful if someone got it and they didn't. And anyway, so I just said, don't bring it up. And apparently they'd had the same conversation on the way to our house. And for some reason, the guy said, well, we're vaccinated. And so we took what would have been a very short visit outside on our porch in like 14 degree weather inside. And we just couldn't get over it. Like we literally opened a bottle of wine and toasted like the ability to sit with friends and it was joyful. It was joyful like it's never been before. So there is that like, I mean, if we live in, in Cleveland, Ohio, where the first day of spring is always like that, where, you know, the joy of like when seeing winter about to end and spring about to begin is it's just bigger than you can remember and imagine. And so, you know, a little bit is that we've had to live with the scarcity of that experience. And so I don't know, in a lot of ways, I don't want to live through it again. I'm not at all saying that it was yeah. fun to live through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, the joy of having some of those experiences again are like over the top joy. And it's funny, I have seen, I've seen it with the kids in particular, because I still have a high schooler. So I've seen when she's gotten a little bit of normalcy going back, because they went back teachers were back in January. And so, you know, just going from that low mood to like, was all of a sudden really normal. And just that excitement they get by having that human interaction, running into teachers you've had before and all the things that you, that you like, that you, I think, tell yourself, and maybe that's where I am. I'm just realizing that right now that you tell yourself, you know, but it's fine. I'm fine. I'm fine with how things are. I'm fine. Right. And then maybe when I get to the other, I'm going to be like, oh, I was so not fine. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know. It's so funny. I'm anxious thinking about it. Like <laughs> I'm anxious about my anxiety. 
none of my kids are vaccinated and they all still have this kind of feeling of like the world moving ahead without them. And so they just, someone sent out an email that, you know, a friend got, went two and a half hours to get a vaccine because they got a call. They had their name on a list. And so there was this whole group chat about like, well, should we put ourselves on that list? Two and a half hours, five hours. And then you have to do it again, 10 hours. Oh, that's how most of my friends got theirs. These are my kids. And they, they said, no, they're not going to do it. Anyway, I think that the thing I'm looking most forward to is the leveling the playing field without the judgment. So it's like who thinks they were being COVID strict and then the eye roll of like, they thought they were strict, but oh my God, you should hear what they did. And just all of the natural ways we respond to the decisions that other people make that kind of in this situation actually can impact us. So like who's in the bubble, who's out and all of those questions, hopefully in the very near future, we're just not going to be having them anymore. Yeah, it's exciting. And I think like you said, especially in Cleveland, like everything for us, especially in Ohio, everything was happening all of a sudden, right? The weather is getting better. And all of a sudden, you know, it's 60, then 50, then 40, then 18, 16, right? It's like, like, it's like you keep opening presents, right? It just, it just kept going. You know, it is going to be a transition. And I, well, let's just start with, I might even have to like clean the house and make it look like there's, you know, people could cut. Like I, I've gotten so used to that. Like, you know, usually you pick up the house. Oh, people are coming over for Friday night dinner. So oh, it's time to kind of pick up the house. I just did it. I just did it this week. Did you? Yeah. I, I, all of a sudden I realized, oh, we've planned for people to come in our house. Shoot. And I went around. I did I did the thing that I'm really good at. Like you take a laundry basket and you just dump everything into the laundry basket. And then you go, wait, where did I put that paper? <laughs> it's like. Oh, that's is, funny. Right. Just to get all the surfaces. Yeah, like like I, would need, yeah. I would need 10 hours to do that in advance. And I had like a half hour when I realized, oh, they're coming inside. <laughs> Yeah, it'll be very interesting. I think it's going to be an interesting time. And I think that maybe there'll be some, you know, pleasant surprises along the way. And maybe some surprises where you're like, oh, maybe I wasn't ready for that. Or I don't know. I don't know what to anticipate. I think that's part of my issue. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's glorious. It is a miracle. We are at a moment of miracle. Like the thought that a year later, we could have anyone who wanted it vaccinated. Like that's, that is truly a miracle. No, it's crazy. We were talking about this earlier. Like, I cannot believe I'm looking at the date. It's March 23rd. Oh, my son's 21st birthday. It's March 23rd. Um, (laughs) I cannot believe. I remember saying to Todd at one point, oh, maybe with some luck we'll be vaccinated by the summer. That's crazy. It is a gift. It's really a miracle. And it's kind of like, I mean, I'll say like spring in Cleveland, like those crocuses start to break ground and you just look at it going, how does that happen every year? It's such a miracle. Like there were three feet of snow over in that corner. And now there's little buds coming up and it just feels so miraculous. So that's how I felt when yeah. I got Don't worry, there'll be snow again. It's only March 23rd. Well, we got the, plenty the, of time. the hope has, has been out there. Like I feel hopeful, even if it snows again, that we are entering spring. And I felt the same way. Like I, I felt emotional about getting vaccinated, that there was hope. So I hope everyone has the opportunity, like really very soon, because some states are well behind us and hopefully that will be available for anybody who wants to get them. Up next is our conversation with Dr. Abigail Stark. We can't wait for you to join us.
Marie Kelly. Wild Precious Life is a podcast about dreaming big, digging in and connecting across distance, division, and loss. In each episode, I talk with prize-winning writers, musicians, and wanderers who remind all of us how we can make the most of the time we have. So meet me here. Let's walk and talk and dream and discover what it means to be wild, precious, and brave. talking about the anxiety that comes along with post-pandemic re-entry for our kids and teenagers with Abigail Stark of the Anxiety Mastery Program at McLean Hospital. Abby, thank you so much for being here with us. Absolutely. I'm glad to be here. During this whole period, this long year, we have talked about parenting teenagers and all the stresses that have come up with COVID. And we generally ask our experts questions like, how is re-entry going to be for our teens? As if there is one type of anybody anywhere. And so what we know now and have known all along but didn't address it that way is that every kid reacted differently. We can make some assumptions about groups that existed, but that would dictate how their re-entry would be, not all teenagers. So if we look at, for example, kids who had increased anxiety during COVID. So is it possible that some of that is situational and it will diminish on its own or, and could it be both? That it was situational, but it still stays. Absolutely, I think that's a great question. And I just want to echo and emphasize your point that there is no one way to respond to the pandemic or no one way to feel anxious about things and that there's no kind of normal reaction that all children have. And so I'll speak in terms of general statements about anxiety and every kid reacts differently to to the situation. And so what I've noticed for many kids who have more increased anxiety during the pandemic is that it really depends on the way that they are then approaching that anxiety as they're transitioning back to school. Are they seeing like this anxious feeling of something they need to avoid at all costs? And are, is their environment kind of reinforcing this? That if you're anxious, this is too overwhelming, this is too much for you, stay home, stay calm. Or are they seeing this as a challenge that they can slowly approach with support, trying out new things and kind of facing that anxiety? In my mind, it, it's not just about like the level of anxiety kids are experiencing, but also about how they're reacting to that anxiety and what that signals to them, which I think is a great thing parents can teach kids. It sounds to me like you're saying there's, there's a better way for us to react as parents. So can you give us a little bit of that? Absolutely. So I think as parents, as a, a clinician myself, oftentimes when we see kids in distress and kids when they're anxious, all we want to do is reassure them and make them feel better. It is, it's upsetting to see someone in distress or anxious. And anxiety is an important emotion that can help teach us things and help us learn to face different challenges. And so I think one of the difficulties and most positive things that we can do to build resilience in teenagers is to help them face those challenges with some support, being able to allow them to acknowledge emotions, validate those emotions, and encourage them to push themselves to, to challenge some of those fears in a safe way. So if they're nervous about seeing their friends again or being in crowded hallways, how can we help them face those fears safely um, rather than in- encouraging or increasing avoidance? Is there a chance that some of this was just situational and then it's going to disappear as soon as that kid enters the classroom or goes back to sports or whatever that is? I think absolutely. For some kids, as they get back to like 
whatever the new normal is, uh, the new normal of life, they may find that a lot of these anxieties are, are going down pretty quickly, or they may find a lot of kids are experiencing a lot of low mood because they're at home more of the day. They have less of a schedule and structure. Um, so they may also be noticing that low mood is lifting because we know that the main interventions for depression and low mood is something called behavioral activation. It's like doing everyday activities, connecting with others. And I think these are going to be more natural opportunities as the pandemic uh, starts to decrease. And at the same time, I think almost all kids, adults across the developmental spectrum, this is going to be a transition and we're going to need different supports and to be kind to ourselves and notice what we're feeling. And not just, I've been talking about challenging ourselves to face anxiety, but not just gritting our teeth and bearing it, but really noticing that this is hard. It's going to be exhausting transitioning to a whole new way of life or back to an old way of life. And so noticing like kind of how we're feeling in the moment. You know, there are those kids and we hear about it all the time in our Facebook group and on our pages and just in general conversation that there are kids who have thrived that this shift for them, school was more stressful and learning from home was less stressful, in fact, no stress. And for those kids, it, you know, they may wish that they could continue this way, but not every family can support that at-home learning. So how do you, if you're a parent of that child, and number one, how do you not feel badly that you can't allow that kid to continue in some at-home environment? And also, how do you ease them back into a school environment that they weren't thriving in? Mm -hmm. Oh, that's such a great question. And so I would say actually many of the children that I work with are doing better at home. Kids with um, social anxiety who get really anxious around their peers or presenting in school, kids with school avoidance, and it's easier to sign in from home. You can do it from your bed in your pajamas, kids with lower mood or kids with um, different emotion dysregulation problems. It's just easier doing it all from home um, in many ways for some kids. And at the same time, if depending on what a kid's values and goals are, or a teenager's values and goals are, if they want to go to college one day, if they want to be able to leave home and not be at their parents' home all the time, these are important skills to approach and to be able to leave the house, interact with others, even when they're more anxious than maybe some of their peers. And so with many of the parents I work with, I encourage them to have their kids slowly transitioning back to the school environment as hard as it seems, as unfair as it might seem, they're thriving at home so that they can learn to thrive in this uh, kind of in vivo face-to-face -face environment um, rather than spending all their days kind of in this more comfortable setting at home. So I would recommend doing it in a step-by-step -step manner if possible, if schools allow it. So it's not just going from zero to a hundred of now you're going five days a week to school, eight hours a day, no being in bed, waking up at 6 a.m., and I think it is important to push teenagers to be able to practice these skills and practice feeling anxiety and getting through it. Did you observe kids that there was no change? Where they just kind of went as usual, as if nothing around them had changed? And is there any reason that we should be worried about that? Just because we like to be worried about something. So I think for many of the kids I work with, I didn't, I'm trying to think about this, but I saw anyone who had no change. I don't know if I saw anyone who had no change. And I think I saw kids who weren't majorly affected by it, that they quickly adapted to kind of this new remote or hybrid type of school, um, didn't seem to have major shifts in mood, major shifts in anxiety. And so maybe their lives did not like remain unaltered and they didn't have a huge emotional reaction to it. And in my mind, nothing to worry about. Great. Let's see how they transition back. Then if there's like a increased disruption, then we can bring back our, our worry mind to think about this um, and problem solve. So during this time, families had different rules. 
which was so hard for the kids because some of the families, maybe someone had an underlying condition and everyone had to be really strict about seeing people outside of the bubble. But that could mean that you were left out of friendship circles. And so over time, it may have morphed that there are existing friendships that you're left out of. It's so painful, even under normal circumstances. How do you deal with those kids today? That's a great question. And I think that is such a challenge for teenagers because we know the peer friendship group becomes so much more important and those connections are so vital for increasing independence, the sense of self and identity. And what you're speaking to, Sue, about the different rules that different families had. Some families allowed, formed a bubble and kids could see each other. Some families, kids really couldn't leave the house or even go into school because of pre-existing conditions for the teen or their families. And so what I typically encourage the the teens that I work with to do is find what they can do safely, like within their own kind of safety continuum to connect. And it may not feel the same as our typical types of connection. So for example, connecting on FaceTime and Zoom, I know I'm doing that with my colleagues and friends and I am tired of it. (laughs) And at the same time, what can we do to kind of accept the status quo and try to still find ways to to feel that meaning to, to connect with friends? But it's a hard situation. There's no perfect answer to that, I think. What signs should we be looking for that would alert us to something worrisome or concern as a parent? So I think in terms of anxiety, um, what I typically look for is how much avoidance is going on, how much are kids like putting off or teenagers putting off the things that they need to get done since anxiety tends to lead to behaviorally a lot of avoidance and how much distress are are we seeing um, when kids are feeling anxious Are they getting teary and crying? Are they shutting themselves in their room? Are they taking hours to recover? So looking at the level of distress and also the level of impairment and avoidance going on. And I think a similar thing with mood um, or dysregulation when kids are feeling more irritable or more easily angered, how long is this lasting? How distressed is the child feeling? And how much is it getting in the way of them getting what they need to do done? So schoolwork, seeing friends, if they're expected to eat dinner with the family, chores, things like that. I want to go back to the social changes just a little bit more because I think as parents, as moms in particular, it's so painful for us to watch our kids deal with this. And we may have in some way caused a little bit of it out of our control, but still had rules that we had to live with. How do we help our kids make new friends? Like, is that that a role that we can play in our kids' lives? The best thing parents can do, because uh, I don't think most teens want their parents to come in and say, like, I'm introducing you to a new friend, go hang out. I did it for my son in college on the first day when we were moving him in. Uh First of all, I just want to say I thought he'd be grateful. He was so not grateful. In fact, I think he stopped talking to me for a little bit because he was so horrified. So, yeah, yeah. Okay. So you learned from that experience that um, teens and young adults want to make their own friends. And I think that if you notice your child isolating more, having more difficulty, wanting to see friends, feeling more nervous about it, encouraging them to kind of get themselves out there, being willing to text someone that maybe they're not sure how they're going to respond or invite someone over, encouraging them, encouraging them to kind of push themselves um, in this way, and then being there for them to kind of express their emotions if it doesn't go well. Because as much as I'd like to say to every child and teen I work with, if you reach out and ask for friends, they will respond in a, a warm and, and friendly manner. That's not always the case. So I think being curious, opening up that dialogue, letting teens know that it's okay if like a social interaction doesn't go the way 
you want it to, because that can feel so devastating, I think for anyone, but especially for teens and encouraging them to continue putting themselves out there regardless, because that's really the only way to, to make those friends and grow. Is there anything that's been surprising to you during COVID that you've seen in your practice? I think it's something that you've already uh, mentioned before, Seth, that I had expected everyone to be kind of equally uh, challenged with mood and anxiety. It made total sense once I started noticing that some kids were actually doing much better, doing school from home and uh, therapy sessions from home. And I hadn't really realized that that would be the case. I think I just assumed as an extrovert myself that everyone would not like this. And um, there are many ways that it allowed um, kids to feel more comfortable and not have to go through some of the anxieties of typical teenage years. All right, this question is such a stupid one, but I don't care, I'm asking it. (laughs) If you had a crystal ball, what would your guess be at what the new normal is going to look like for most of these teenagers? I do not know. And what I would say, one thing that I've noticed that I find very heartening is that I think mental health is becoming more part of the conversation at schools, for teenagers, for parents. And so I think this is um, a really positive silver lining from the pandemic, not that I want to make light of all the tragedy heartbreak that came from this pandemic. And I think this awareness of mental health and the the challenges that, that come for teenagers has been put in the spotlight more. So I think that is likely to continue that trend. Other than that, I'm not sure what the new normal will look like. I I think from a therapy end, we're going to be doing more remote sessions. A lot of kids like the telehealth. I think that people are going to be communicating more through computers, but that is a fantastic question to ponder. And if you have any answers, I am very curious. (laughs) What about the idea as as our kids go back, and it relates back to what Sue had asked about different rules, right, that were already playing themselves out, but will continue to play themselves out at school too, because I've, you know, heard from different kids about, well, if you're traveling, you're not supposed to come back. And I know this one was traveling, you know, there's so much wrapped up in that. How do we prepare them for different responses from friends? And it was, I think you said at the beginning about um, giving ourselves grace or giving ourselves some latitude or something like, how do we convey that message to them to, that there may have to be um, some of that in friendship that they haven't had to do before? This aligns with like also a typical teen experience that many families have different rules. Some families allow their kids to go to parties. Some families allow their kids to drive their friends. Some families do not. There's all different like leniency and strictness and no kind of right or wrong or perfect way to parent. So I think uh, what you're saying, Seth, about allowing a conversation around these different rules so kids feel and teens feel some more understanding about where parents are coming from, whether they are more strict with uh, COVID protocols or less so. To I think there's just so many questions teens and adults alike have right now, and we don't know all the answers, which makes it even harder to, to answer teens' questions. And so having curiosity, being able to to share and validate that the ways that this is hard for, for teens without necessarily as a parent bending or breaking your own rules. So like, it's okay to say to a kid, I totally get why it's really hard that I'm not allow- allowing you to go over inside to another family's house. And I, I see what that's so challenging and anxiety provoking, and that's still the rule. So kind of striking that balance of validation and setting your own boundaries. And how about how they interact with each other? How do we advise them in dealing with that with friends who were right now they're peer to peer? 
I think that's a complicated question. And so in terms of how to advise them to stay safe during COVID or... um, No, I'm asking more in terms of recognizing that these rules are maybe different. And that may be frustrating for teens where they're like, well, wait, I saw you do... It's no different than adults. Well, you did this, but you're not doing that. Right. Like we've all we all have those different lines in the sand. I would recommend that parents are frank and blunt about it and say, like, we don't know all the answers. And from what I've read and what I know, this is my line in the sand or this is my boundary. And having kids kind of take that more curious approach as well, because we don't know all the answers or some things we know pretty well for sure. And taking this more non-judgmental approach. So the last question that we asked all of our guests, what is the biggest myth about parenting teens? So I think from my stance as a, a clinical psychologist, I think one of the biggest myths that I had to learn myself as well is that it's okay for teens to feel anxiety. It's okay for teens to feel low mood. Everyone feels these things sometimes, and it's a great opportunity for learning and discovering different coping skills. I know for myself, when I see some of the teens that I work with feeling more anxious or sadder down, all I want to do is fix it. And I think that can send a message to teens that anxiety isn't okay, feeling sad isn't okay, you should feel happy all the time. And it can be a really helpful learning experience to know this is a part of life and there are things you can do to continue getting through that and get support. Dr. Abigail Stark, thank you so much for being here with us. This was great advice. Wonderful, thank you. Thanks for joining us for Your Teen with Sue and Steph. If you have any topics that you want us to talk about, let us know on our Facebook page or email editor at yourteenmag.com. Also, if you want to receive our newsletter, head on over to yourteenmag.com. Your Teen with Sue and Steph is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Special thanks to executive producer Michael D'Aloya, plus producer Hannah Leach and audio engineer Eric Coltnow. If you like today's podcast, please leave us an iTunes review or send the episode to a friend. You can find more from us at yourteenmag.com, at evergreenpodcast.com, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Allison Holland, host of the Kennedy Dynasty podcast. Equipped with a microphone and a long-term fascination of the Kennedy family, I am joined by an incredible cast of experts, friends, and guests to take you on a fun, relaxed, yet informative journey through history and pop culture. From book references to fashion to philanthropy to our modern expectations of the presidency itself, you'll see that there is so much more to Kennedy than just JFK or conspiracy theories. Join me for the Kennedy Dynasty podcast.